This episode of the Crown Refs Podcast is sponsored by RefereeStore.com. At RefereeStore.com, we know that being a referee is not just a job, it's a lifestyle. And that's why we make it easy for you to find the right referee shirts, pants, and accessories for your games. Looking to stand out? We carry referee-designed products you cannot find anywhere else. We carry gear for football, soccer, hockey, baseball, and basketball referees designed to meet all required standards. This month, RefereeStore.com is offering a 15% discount for all listeners of the Crown Refs Podcast. Just enter coupon code CROWN15 at checkout, then click apply to get your 15% off your next order. So if you're buying gear for this season, I don't know what your situation is, but definitely take advantage of that Crown Refs discount. RefereeStore.com and Crown Refs, serving the game. And welcome back to the Crown Refs Podcast for episode 124. This is Rules Talk episode 2, where we cover the 23 most misunderstood rules in high school basketball, according to the NFHS website. Some of these scenarios may occur in every game, while others may rarely unfold. This episode is created and hosted by high school official Zach Murphy. It's a great alternative way um, for you to stay sharp at the rules without actually sitting and reading the rule book. Be sure to stick around until the end as Zach gives us his two favorite misconceptions from the list that's discussed. If you would like to create a segment or show on the Crown Refs podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me at crownrefs at gmail.com and uh, let me know your idea. Hope you enjoy the episode and please do me a favor. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Rules Talk on Crown Refs with Zach Murphy. Here in episode two, we're going to take a little different approach. We're going to break down the 23 most misunderstood rules about high school basketball from the NFHS website. I'm saving some of my favorite misconceptions for last, so make sure you stick around until the end. Let's get started. Number one, there is no three second count between the release of a shot and the control of a rebound, at which time a new count starts. We often see players in the lane fighting for a rebound, and you may occasionally hear a coach or a fan asking for a three-second call when this happens. Let's talk about provisions of the three-second count. By Rule 9-7-1, a player shall not remain in the lane for three seconds in that part of his or her free-throw lane between the end line and the farther edge of the free-throw line while the ball is in control of his or her team and is in his or her front court. And by Rule 4-12-6, Neither team control nor player control exists during a dead ball, a jump ball, or when the ball is in flight during a try or tap for goal. These two rules are all we need to explain the scenario. The three-second count can only continue if there is team control, and there is no team control during a try for goal. By applying these two rules to this scenario, we have a rules-based explanation as to why the three-second count is suspended during a try or tap for goal. Number two. A player can go out of bounds, return inbounds, and be the first to touch the ball. By Rule 4-35-1, a player's status on the court is determined by where that player is touching the floor. If a player is touching the floor inbounds, then that player is inbounds and may legally touch the ball. At this point, the official must determine whether the player left the court voluntarily. By Rule 9-2-3, a player shall not leave the court for an unauthorized reason. If the player deliberately leaves the court, it is a violation and the ball should be awarded to the offended team at the spot nearest the violation. For example, if A1 is running along the inline and goes out of bounds to avoid B1, and then A1 returns inbounds to receive a pass from A2, that would be a violation. However, if the player's momentum carried them out of bounds, an allowance is made and that player has not violated. 
So, for example, if A1 dives to save a ball from going out of bounds, A2 secures that pass, and then A1 gets up, returns to the court, and receives the pass from A2, A1 has not violated. Rule 4. Reaching is not a foul. There must be contact, and the player with the ball must have been placed at a disadvantage. This one is pretty simple. If there is no illegal contact, there is no foul. And by Rule 4-27-1, the mere fact that contact occurs does not constitute a foul. There may be contact on the ball handler, but if it's not illegal and it does not place the ball handler at a disadvantage, it can be deemed incidental contact. Rule 5. A player can always recover his or her fumbled ball. A fumble is not a dribble, and any steps taken during recovery are not traveling, regardless of progress made and or advantage gained. Rule 6 is very similar to Rule 5. It is not possible to travel while dribbling. Rule 8. A kicked ball must be intentional, and the contact must be with the foot or any part of the leg. For example, if A1 throws the ball and it bounces off of B1's foot, this is not a kicking violation. B1 did not intentionally kick the ball. Rule 9. It is legal for a player to rebound his or her own air ball provided that the official deemed the shot a legitimate shot. If the shot is deemed a legitimate shot attempt, any player on the court may secure the rebound. However, if the official deems this shot not a legitimate shot attempt and instead deems it a pass, the player may not recover that pass. Number 10. It is impossible to travel, double dribble, or carry while taking the ball out for a throw-in. According to the note in Rule 4-42, the thrower shall keep one foot on or over the designated spot until the ball is released. The traveling and dribbling rules are not in effect for a throw-in. So in practice, the thrower could jump, dribble, double dribble, turn around, move forwards and backwards, all without violating. Rule 11. A ball cannot travel over the top of the backboard. However, it can travel behind the backboard. Another very important misconception here. If the ball touches the top of the backboard, it is not out of bounds. It has to travel over the backboard. Otherwise, if the ball rolls completely across the top of the backboard and falls back in bounds, that is a legal play. Rule 12. A defender does not have to give the dribbler a step. As long as legal guarding position has been established, it is up to the dribbler to avoid the contact. The person with the ball should expect to be guarded. Number 13. Kind of already touched on this one, but the sides, top, and bottom of a rectangular backboard are inbounds. So, as I said previously, the ball has to pass over the backboard to be an out-of-bounds violation. If it touches the sides, the top, or the bottom, that's nothing. That's a legal play. Number 14. Jumpers may tap the ball simultaneously. They may tap the ball twice. And when a legally tapped ball touches the floor, a player other than a non-jumper, or a backboard, the jump ball is ended, and either jumper may recover the ball. Okay, what sticks out to me here is the backboard. I'm not really sure how the jump ball could hit the backboard. If you've ever seen that in your game, if you have some footage of that, please, please email me. Uh, send me a DM on Instagram. I'd love to see that. Number 15. A 10-second count continues when the defense deflects or bats the ball. 
why does this 10 second count continue? Well, we know that team control is maintained during an interrupted dribble. So if we apply that rule to this scenario, it kind of spells it out for us. The 10 second count continues when there is team control. Number 16. A moving screen isn't a violation unless there is contact. First of all, we don't have moving screen in our rulebook. We have a legal screen. And secondly, there has to be a legal contact to be a foul. We know that. You can't have a foul if the defender doesn't touch the offensive player. Number 17. Any contact foul during a live ball is personal, not technical. And you may be thinking, you know, does this really matter as far as is this going to affect my game? And the answer is yes. For example, if it's a technical foul, any player, eligible substitute, or bench personnel can shoot that free throw. But if it's an intentional foul, only the player fouled can shoot that free throw. So there's a big difference there. Also, on a technical foul, the offended team gets two shots and the ball back at the division line opposite the table. But for an intentional foul, the penalty is either two shots, regardless of whether the ball goes in, or three shots only on a missed three-point attempt. If the three-point attempt goes in, it is still two shots. The penalty is two shots regardless. Think about it this way. An intentional foul is not a shooting foul. It's not a common foul, so you cannot give them an and one if the ball goes in. It's not a shooting foul. Again, so the penalty there is two shots. Another big difference here is after we've shot all merited free throws, we're going to give the ball back to the offended team at the spot nearest the foul. And that's a big difference over a technical foul. As we know, the technical foul is given to the offended team at the division line opposite the table. But for an intentional foul, we're going to give them the ball at the spot nearest to the foul. And this could make a big difference, especially late game. So it's important that we know this rule distinction. We know the difference here and we get the play right. Number 18. We as officials are pretty familiar with this one. Basketball is not a non-contact sport. Incidental contact does occur, and contact which does not create an advantage or disadvantage may be ignored. What's important here is just that we are consistent as a crew. You're never going to have the exact same play as your partners, but you are going to have similar plays, so it's important that we call similar plays in a similar way. Number 19. Any unsportsmanlike contact during a dead ball is a technical foul. And this is very similar to Rule 17 that we just talked about here. It's important to know the difference between a technical foul and a personal foul. And again, any unsportsmanlike contact during a dead ball is a technical foul. And as you know, once you have a technical foul, we're going to give two free throws to the offended team and they're going to get the ball back at the division line opposite the table. So again, you know that rule, you have dead ball contact, boom, technical foul, we're going to shoot two, give it back to the team at the division line opposite the table. You just, If you know that rule, it's just boom, 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 and you handle the situation, and it makes you look really professional as a crew. Number 20. A defensive player does not have to be stationary to take a charge. The defender simply must have established a legal guarding position. I touched on this briefly back in episode one of Rules Talk, but this is one of my favorite misconceptions because you're going to hear this almost every game. 
And this is really easy, actually, if you know the definitions. So, legal guarding position. What do you have to do to be a legal defender? One, you have to have two feet on the playing court. And two, you have to have your chest facing your opponent. And once you've done that, once you've established your initial legal guarding position, you may move to maintain that position. So now we can apply that to a block charge play. A defender establishes legal guarding position and is moving to maintain their position as the offensive player runs into them and knocks them down. This is a player control foul because they were moving to maintain their legal guarding position. You do not have to be set to take a charge. Number 21. An intentional foul is always penalized with two free throws, except on a missed three-point shot, which is awarded three free throws. I actually already covered all these stipulations back in Rule 17 when I was talking about personal fouls and a live ball. So if you missed that one, go back, check that out. Uh, but we're going to move on to Rule 22. And Rule 22 is this. When an airborne shooter commits a player control foul, his or her successful try for goal cannot be allowed, regardless of whether the try was released before or after the foul. And to make this one easy, there is no scenario in which you would count a goal by a player who committed a player control foul. Number 23. Lifting the pivot foot does not constitute a travel unless the ball handler puts the pivot foot back on the floor prior to passing or shooting the ball. The pivot foot cannot be lifted before the dribble was started. And this rule used to give me trouble, but... I heard an example one time that made it really simple. So, for example, let's say you're on a fast break and the player's dribbling down, about to shoot a layup. When he picks up his dribble, whatever pivot foot, or excuse me, whatever foot is on the ground does become the pivot foot at that instance. So, if his right foot is on the ground when he picks up the ball, his right foot is the pivot foot. He's usually going to take another step, he'll step on his left foot, and then shoot the layup. In that example, he picked up his pivot foot. But did he travel? No. So if you were fuzzy on that rule just like I was previously, hopefully that example makes it a little more clear for you. As we're coming to the end here, we're going to finish on a high note, and we're going to talk about two of my favorite misconceptions that were on this list. Number seven. A high dribble is always legal, provided the dribbler's hand stays on top of the ball, and the ball does not come to rest in the dribbler's hand. This one is great here. I mean. I know I hear this a lot, and you're going to see plays like this a lot. You're going to see ugly plays where the dribbler, you know, maybe loses control. The ball goes way high above their head, and everybody in the gym goes nuts. They're all screaming carry. But you, as a good official, you know the rule, and you know that the ball didn't come to rest in that dribbler's hand, and so that's not a carry. And finally, my number one all-time favorite misconception, number three. There is no such thing as over the back. <laughs> I'm going to read the rest of it here for you. There must be contact resulting in advantage or disadvantage. Do not put a tall player at a disadvantage merely for being tall. As I said here, this is my all-time favorite misconception because everyone thinks it's a rule, at least in my experience. I don't know if that's you guys' experience, but... Anyway, I hear this nearly every night, so it's important to know here, if a tall player goes over the back of a shorter player and gets a rebound and does not displace that player, that is not a foul. Now, what is a foul is if in that same scenario, the tall player 
goes over the back in an attempt to get a rebound, but they displace the player. Say they push them in the back with their body or something like that. That is a foul, but it is not over the back. It's a push. What did they do? They pushed them. They displaced them. It's not over the back, though. It's just important as officials that we know the rules, obviously. And so it's important that we go to the table and use the correct mechanics and the correct terms. So we would go to the table and report a push. We'd push out shoulder width, you know. But we're not going to say, we're not going to say over the back at the table. I just want to thank you guys for sticking around here to the end. Uh, hopefully you knew most of these misconceptions, but maybe there were one or two, you know, that you were fuzzy on that now you're clear on. Um, but again, I really appreciate it. Uh, it helps me. It helps me as well. You know, by making this content, I am also learning and I'm kind of teaching myself here. So uh, I'm just I'm glad to be able to do this. And thanks to Paul uh, with Crown Rest for letting me make my own segment here, you know. And again, guys, I just want to thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to think about officiating, you know, by us learning and constantly seeking to improve. We are collectively serving the game. Bye.